Hello, lifters. Happy voting day. Happy election day. It's so exciting. Uh, a lot of hope in the air. A lot of uh, really exciting stuff going on uh, with our candidacy and all of that kind of stuff. So everybody, I'm so, so excited for today. Uh, if you don't know, uh, the genesis of our story, Lifting the Rug, actually comes from voting day. Uh, three years ago, for the, it was the 2020 elections. Yeah, it was. Uh, I believe, maybe. Uh, I think Alessia and I, it was Alessia's first time voting. It was exactly three years ago. You know, we did our thing. It was really exciting. I was really excited to just like watch her go through the process. Because I remember like before that, I think it was my first election, the big presidential election before uh, the Biden-Trump election. So the high of voting for someone is is very, it's incredible. Um, but it takes a really bad voting experience to kind of turn you off or inspire you to talk about it. So that's what we decided to do. Alessia had a really crummy uh, voting experience, unfortunately, with a lot of hostility. It was the beginning of a very divisive part of our world um, and part of our lives that we are going to be in for. And we have. And I think that we've created a platform that has brought that into perspective, brought that into perspective, uh, put that into a greater light and a greater POV. We're able to appreciate um, all perspectives more, but we're also able to celebrate what we believe in more and not be afraid to talk about it because we know how to research and we know who our allies are. We know who supports us. We know more. And when you have knowledge, you truly do have power and you truly can influence a lot of people. Um, so today is a really, really special day because it's literally the anniversary of how lifting the rug came to be. Uh, we came up with it together in the car on the way home. She was very angry. She was very quiet. And we were just like, we have to do something we have to create a platform that people aren't afraid to just believe what they believe and choose who they choose. And it doesn't have to always make sense for everyone. The choice can just make sense for you because you're making that choice for you and your circumstances. That's Isn't that what voting was like created for? But we never really talked about what voting was created for. So we're creating this brand new segment. I'm so excited. Uh, it's called Lifting the Vote. And we're basically going to be talking about everything about voting. Anytime that we think something's really important to talk about, uh, we're just going to talk about it. And it's going to be all about voting. We're going to focus a lot on electoral college, what it means, how it started, where the barriers are and that, all of that. But today we are just going to be talking about the genesis of voting because this whole idea, this whole experience, the election day was our genesis. So we had to start from the beginning and it's kind of goes with the theme, the archetype of this whole season has been beginnings and really figuring out where did this start? How did we get here? So that's what we're going to do. I'm very excited. Very, very simple start. We usually start with quotes. We usually start with either quotes or we start with um, very, very simple definitions. So we have a couple of definitions. We have one from dictionary.com. 
Voting is a formal expression of opinion or choice made by an individual or body of individuals, especially in an election. I really want to focus in on those keywords, expression of opinion or choice. Opinion of party doesn't always mean your personal opinion. Let me elaborate. If what they're saying doesn't morally align with what you believe, and it's just one point, but you believe in the rest of the party and what it stands for, you're allowed to um, practice that right and vote for a person that stands for that specific thing of your opinion and your choice. Um, that's allowed. And I think that doesn't betray your party. We're, we're hearing a lot of that rhetoric if I vote, if I don't vote all the way across as my party, I am abandoning my party. I am a hypocrite. No, simply the whole point that we're trying to make and the whole new system and rhetoric that we're trying to create is that do your research on who you're voting for. What do they believe in? What points do you agree with? And sometimes that doesn't fall precisely across um the voting toll the voting poll so if one person if a senator believes in something but everybody else believes in something else and it doesn't align with what your beliefs are it's okay to vote for that person that shares your opinion that's what literally voting is according to dictionary.com so really do your research know who you're voting for that's my first little tidbit of wisdom uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary uh, defines voting as to choose, endorse, decide the disposition of defeat, or authorize someone or something by vote. They're very um, different kinds of ways of saying it's your decision who you want to run your situation. Um, I think I would love... <laughs> This sounds like so stupid because I've done so much research so much research that literally contradicts this idea, but it's it's a very utopic idea that I've had and a, it creates a lot of euphoria for me, so I just kind of run with it. I just wish that we could have kind of like a split I don't know, like just a split ideas, a lot of different kinds of congress people getting together and just having conversations all the time and you know, picking, it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of evolution. Picking like things from the hot button topics that are really important in this election. And the top three are finances, abortion. Um, I can't remember the last one. I believe it's maybe job security, but that kind of goes into economy uh, or crime. Those are the top three hot button topics for this election. That's what people are basing their votes off of. I wish that they would just take people with totally polar opposite opinions, sit them in a room and make them sit there for 10 hours and just like figure it out. And that's it. And you know, you, you find the best people for it. We vote for the best people on both sides and then they have to figure it out. They have to sit in a room for hours on end until they're blue in the face and want to kill each other, but also realize that, hey, I'm not the only one with the right opinion here. Let me kind of think outside the box. We need outside the box thinkers in this society that we just simply don't have. We have very, um, very 
tunnel vision thinkers. We have a lot of just partition leaders and we can't, partisan, partisan leaders. Those are what we have. We got to fix that. So America did not coin the idea of voting. It's important to know that. And we didn't coin the idea of casting ballots. Uh, Duval County website outlines the origin really nicely of different systems of voting, including our nation's own origin. So this is a direct quote. Since approximately 508 BC, ancient Greece seems to have implemented the earliest form of democracy. Greeks had a negative election. That is, each year, voters who were the male landowners were asked to vote for the political leader or candidates they most wanted to be exiled for the next 10 years. Extreme. (laughs) We're talking about a long, long time ago, but... um, It's kind of our beginning thoughts of patriarchal thinking. It's just like a lot of themes that America knew and that's how they saw democracy and then they modeled it kind of after the forms of democracy that they saw because they were like, hmm, like having opinions is important, considering opinions is important, but this is the model that we have. So I guess we'll go off of like the white male landowners. I think that's the vibe. Because during the 13th century, the Venetian state solidified and elected a great council compromised of, comprised of 40 members. The Venetians implemented approval voting. In this type of election, electors cast one vote for every candidate they found acceptable and none for those they found unacceptable. The winner was the person who was acceptable to the largest number of voters. Very good. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of patriarchal undertones to it. It kind of has the, just the idea that everybody gets, you know, whoever wins, wins. That's it. Uh, So that's kind of their model. Their model was patriarchal thinking and candidates pooling from the ancient Greece. And then they had the majority rule vote from the Venetians. So they kind of made this multimodal democracy system And that's what they went off of. That's what our founding fathers had to go off of for the idea of democracy. But they had to mold it and make it so it could evolve in the future. Um, So this is kind of how they do it. American history is based on ever-increasing rights, including voting rights. The rules that apply to eligible voters have changed dramatically since 1776. And it was pronounced that all men were created equal. But that equality only applied to some. We know this. We've all went to history. Another quote, when America was young, only white men over the age of 21 were allowed to vote. However, one of the strengths of our country is our ability to grow, change, and adapt. And that's kind of the beauty of the Constitution is it it allowed that rubber band effect of being able to grow, adapt to different socioeconomic issues, different laws, different um, just things that came up in society. It wasn't as black and white as ancient Greece or the Venetian forms of democracy. So to best understand the process of voting and how we got here, it's vital to know the generalized timeline of who got the right to vote when and what dates we need to know to really understand the socio-political evolution of voting in this nation. It's just, it's vital to know these dates in the back of your head. Constitutioncenter.org posted a blog post by Angelis Torres McBride on May 27th, 2021, entitled The Evolution of Voting Rights in America. 
direct quote from her. The Constitution took effect in early 1789 after the first federal elections. It did not include an express protection of the right to vote, and it was left to the states to determine who was eligible to vote in elections. For the most part, state legislators generally limiting voting to white males who owned land. Some states also utilized religious tests to ensure only Christian men could vote. End quote. Okay, so... They're going with what they know and they're trying to modify it in a way that's going to be fair. So the founding fathers have this mode of democracy, this multimodal model of what are we doing? How do we create this so it's fair? Okay, I guess we'll just give it to the states to decide because they all have their own population going on. There's a lot of just things that are different in every state. So we'll go with that and we'll kind of... We'll let them know what's been done in the past, and they'll kind of lead with that. Um, <laughs> so white males voting was the Greek, the Greek way of voting. That was that form of democracy. And they took it a step further, particularly in the Bible Belt, which is those southern states that we're, we're very familiar with still today. They had the Christian men only voting. And I could tell you that the Christian men were white because it doesn't say it, but it was the fact. Uh, Another quote, it wasn't until 1870 when the 15th Amendment was ratified that the right to vote was drastically expanded, at least in the Constitution's text, by ensuring the right to vote could not be denied based on race. Native American people born in the U.S. were not recognized as full American citizens until the Snyder Act and therefore did not have the right to vote until 1924. So that's an end quote. I just didn't know this about Native Americans, and I really think that we don't have enough knowledge about Native Americans in general. Just reading this tidbit of information and their rights to vote, I would really be interested to learn about more of their story because... (laughs) I really feel like my knowledge goes to Plymouth Rock and it's done. Like I and I and I feel like I don't know a lot, you know, and I don't know a lot even about the first Thanksgiving, even though I've learned some dark stuff about the real first Thanksgiving in in my years of learning history. But I had no idea about the Snyder Act, guys, if I'm being so frank and honest with you. Uh, if anyone knows and knew about this in the comments, elaborate and let me know what you, what you know about your Native American history. I'm kind of fascinated because it's not just about um, the slavery and the black people. And it, that's important and it has a weight to it that America will never be able to shake and it shouldn't shake because it's important. But the Native American suppression astounds me and it's come up quite a few times in this search that I had to do for this so another quote we'll kind of go we'll circle back to that later the 19th amendment ratified in 1920 ensured the right to vote shall not be denied or abridged on account of sex the 24th amendment ratified in 1964 prohibited Congress and the states from implementing a poll tax or other types of tax for federal elections. And the 26th Amendment ratified in 1971 stated no citizen at least 18 years of age or older may be denied the right to vote on account of age. End quote. So that's just like a lot of different, really important timelines. 1920, women can vote. 1964, not being able to tax for federal elections. In 1971, 
the age, um, the age kind of was capped and that was it. And it was set the precedent for the rest of time because that's all we know. Another direct quote, Congress passed the Voting Right Act of 1965. The act was designed to make sure state and local governments could no longer pass laws or policies that denied citizens the right to vote based on race and other immutable characteristics. This monumental voting rights legislation was expanded several times in 1975 to protect language minorities in 1982 to require accommodations and protections for voters with disabilities and in 1993 to promote to permit voter registration at the motor vehicle departments this was really a lot because it's very recent so the one that sticks out to me the most is uh, 1965 to protect language minorities which to me means the immigrants, because I know for a fact that white people were not just considered um, people with white skin. You know, it was a lot of immigrants. It was a lot of people that came from Italy, which is where my ancestors came from. So my grandmother gained the right to vote around the time that her children were, I think my mom was four and and her son was six. So she didn't even have that right as an Italian immigrant to vote even with the the right paperwork she was documented it wasn't an illegal immigration it was very legal but she was not considered a white person for a very long time and we'll get into that too when we talk about redlining and all that because it was affected by not just black people but different immigrants and different people of different descent but that really these dates stick out to me um and the accommodations and protectors for voter with disabilities not till 1982 i thought that that was actually pretty good date because it says something when the political system sees people with disabilities as you know wanting to help them and not the educational system until the early 2000s to really go to the extent that we go for our kids and we still have a lot of work to do But I thought that that was really interesting, and it kind of gave me a little bit of hope (laughs) for humankind. Um, But yeah, another direct quote from our timeline. In 2013, the Supreme Court weighed in on the Voting Rights Act in a significant way in the Shelby County versus Holder case. At issue was whether Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, a provision of the act that required jurisdictions with a history of discrimination to submit proposed changes in voting procedures to the U.S. Department of Justice was constitutional. Shortly thereafter, states such as North Carolina, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, and Virginia began to implement policies previously denied under Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. And in 2020, for the first time in this nation's history, over 159 million people voted in a presidential election. Huge number, guys. Like, That was a big one. And let me tell you, that's the end quote, by the way. Let me tell you that the energy that this election has had is the same as a presidential election, if not more, because people are finally beginning to understand. I'm finally beginning to understand how not much the president has to do with a lot of stuff it, he has a lot to do with it I'm not going to say that but checks and balances matter so 
these elections really matter. And it's really important that you cast your ballot because they're the ones that just put everything in check and they're the ones that make the big decisions and they are the checks and balances. When you vote for your party in these kind of elections that seem small because they're not presidential, they're really big because they set the tone for who's going to win the presidential candidacy. Because if they have more people and it's in their favor, that's, that's, they have more likelihood to win simply. Uh, there have been obviously events in the presidential election in the last couple of years, actually, that it, it contradicts that fact, but majority checks and balances exist And by you casting your vote today, you contribute to those checks and balances and how you want those checks and balances to look moving forward with different policies. And I didn't understand that until I started this podcast. Truly, madly, deeply, had no idea. So I'm really grateful for this journey because I wouldn't have voted today or in any other minor election if it hadn't been for the extensive research that I've done and diving into understanding what you know what's causing this part this partisan point of view this divisive world that we're living in is people not showing up for these kinds of elections because they matter so knowing all the dates that I kind of spit at you they're awesome landmarks to keep in the back of our brains but in the spirit of lifting the rug and knowing where people come from, it's important to know a general idea of the intentions of the founding fathers when they created the concept of voting for America. The big question that kind of is in the back of my head is, was the intention an honorable one for the nation? Or was it designed to make sure that certain people were kept out of the decision-making process? We'll deep dive into that in later episodes of the segment, but for now... We have a great resource. Libertyofcongress.gov has a great uh, post entitled The Founders and the Vote. A direct quote from there is, in the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson wrote, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. But how would Americans consent to be governed? Who should vote? How should they vote? The founders wrestled with these questions. They wondered about the rights of minorities. In their day, that meant worrying if the rights of property owners would be overrun by the votes of those who did not own land, end quote. So there was a little bit of that patriarchal thinking, like, we don't want to be overrun by these slaves. (laughs) Like, there's going to be absolute and utter chaos. So by leaving it up to the states, they decide who they're going to have vote and what their laws are going to be. They're going to set those borders and those boundaries. If we do that for the whole nation and we do a blanket statement, we are in a slippery slope and the civil war could have happened a lot sooner. Um, So we, they left the state, they left the fate to the States, but we know that James Madison promoted this by saying, quote, allow the right to vote exclusively to property owners and the rights of persons may be oppressed. Extend it equally to all and the rights of property owners may be overruled by a majority without property, end quote. Another quote from the article, in Article 1, 
Section 4, the Constitution says, the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislator thereof. But the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations, which is that checks and balances that we talk about. So President Andrew Jackson, champion of frontiersmen, helped advance the political rights of those who did not own property, which we will get to, I believe, next season, because we'll talk a lot about the presidents. We'll have a whole segment about presidents. And I really want to talk about President Jackson in this light of uh, kind of reforming this idea of voting and how it looks and the really crass language that the Congress the the Constitution kind of utilizes and the presidency and all of that. So I'm going to deep dive into that later. I just wanted to give you guys a basis of where our founding fathers were coming from. They were coming from a, a, a genuine place, I believe, truly, that they wanted not just, they didn't want a dictatorship. They didn't want a monarchy. They wanted a form of democracy, but they didn't know how to do that. So they said, we have these states, we have these boundaries, let's use them. But we also have this really, really, really interesting situation called slavery with landowners. So we have to be mindful of that and we have, we have to give it to the states because, and we have to give the power to the landowners because if we don't and we give equal rights, we will have anarchy, <laughs> truly anarchy because they will revolt because they will have a lot of power. So they were in a very, very sticky situation. They handled it okay. They could have handled it better. Let's be honest. That's why we learned about history. So we're not doomed to repeat it. But we seem to be in a rabbit hole of repeating history these days. So I don't know what to tell you. Let's talk about this election. And I just want to wrap it up with this. Here are some facts that of the political forecast and what it has in store for us. It was posted November 2nd, 2022 by Jennifer Agesta and Ariel Edwards-Levy. This is a CNN post, and it's an article entitled CNN Poll, Republicans Backed by Enthusiasm and Economic Concerns Hold a Narrow Edge Ahead of New Week's Congressional Election. This was really interesting, guys. I really couldn't find anything on Fox News about, like, just cold hard facts, And I couldn't find anything really on CNN that was like a political piece that had statistics and opinions, but this was really good. So some direct quotes from this article, Democratic enthusiasm about voting is significantly lower than it was in 2018 when the democracy, when the Democratic Party took control of the House. 27% of registered voters say that they are extremely enthusiastic about voting this year, down from 37% just ahead of the 2018 midterm elections. Yikes. (laughs) And the decline in enthusiasm comes almost entirely among Democrats, end quote. This was extremely mind-boggling. Can I just talk about this? Not, like, having... CNN is a very... It tries to stay very neutral, but it... It is very left-leaning platform. So to read this was astounding. Another quote, four years ago, 44% of Democratic registered voters said they were extremely enthusiastic about voting. Now just 24% say the same. Among Republicans, the number has dipped only narrowly from 43% to 38%. The economy and inflation are far and away the top issues for 
likely voters in this final stretch, with about half of all likely voters, 51%, saying those all will be key issues determining their vote for Congress this year. Abortion, the second ranking issue, lands as the top concern for 15% of likely voters. Other issues tested were chosen by fewer than 10% of likely voters, each including voting rights, election integrity, gun policy, immigration, climate change, and crime. All under 10%. All of those issues are under 10%. End quote. So, yeah. When you think about economic drive, and if that's what's driving the vote, Republicans are favored to vote. It's just a simple fact. We're not even talking about mega conservatives. We're talking about just the idea of a Republican is they are business people. They look for the bottom line, the money. And the Democrats tend to lean more into the social rights and how they can be implemented in the political system, all that kind of stuff. And abortion and immigration and climate change and crime and gun policy all being under that generalized umbrella. But now we're kind of seeing... Republicans care about all of those things, but giving their own perspective on it. So those percentages are still coming from Republican voters because they still care, but they care in a way that makes sense for them because it's their opinion. It's their vote. It's allowed. (laughs) They're practicing the right to vote correctly. Good for them. Uh, And final quote, amid this growing economic malaise and stagnant negativity about the nation, President Joe Biden's approval rating has also dipped in the new poll. Overall, 41% of adults say they approve of of the president's performance, down from 44% in the most recent CNN polling, though still ahead of its low point this summer. Among likely voters, Biden's Biden's rating stands at 42% about on par with Donald Trump among likely voters in 2018. 41% and Barack Obama in 2010, which was 43% approved. So it could go either way, truly, madly, deeply, could go either way. But I am, um, it's just, I just want America to get out of this hole that we're in because it's it's quite, it's quite deep and we've, we're, we're, get, we're getting there and it's, getting to the point where it's seeping into everyone's life. It's not just everyone's being hit in some sort of a way. A lot of Americans are saying that we're already in a recession and the crux of our problems are financial. So you're going to see independents voting and you're going to see independents voting into more of a Republican side. I hate to say that because they're just sick of it, simply. Human rights and all of that, is really important and air quality is really great. But if I can't survive and live on a day-to-day basis, I can't even appreciate the human rights or the air quality. So what's the point? We're in that point, guys. Like we're here. We've made it here. So we have to make those really hard critical decisions and just vote for whoever is going to provide us with some sort of economical hope or leg to stand on. And also is going to make America a superpower again and not someone that the whole world laughs at because we are, quite frankly, a laughing stock filled with just rampage of violence like nobody has seen before. I haven't heard of a shooting in a high school in Sweden or Europe or Africa in how long? 
South America even. I have not heard of one shooting incident. And I hear twice a day something that happened within my community, not just like within the United States. Within my community, there's gun violence happening. And there's just, it's a gross amount of stuff that's going on. Um, a lot of it's attributed though, and it goes back to the bottom line of economics. So you have to remember that it's cyclic and it's a, it's a cycle of just, it's poverty. It's, it's this whole thing that fuels the fire of crime. It's not just crime itself. It's not just the laws in place. It's a lot of other attributions and that usually lead to money. So we have to follow that, that cookie crumb trail to some degree. That's my rant. That's my spiel. That's the genesis of voting. Um, I really hope you guys got something out of it. I hope you guys voted and practiced your right because you really having an opinion in this, in this, in this political climate is, is good. But if you don't vote, it's not worth a whole lot because you should vote. You have the right. You're of age. You could do it. There's no excuse. Practice your right. Okay, guys, that was heavy. So we may not have an episode next week just because the holidays are coming up and everything is getting kind of crazy. But if we feel inspired to write something or get just research something, usually what ends up happening is I wake up or Alessia wakes up and we just write something down ferociously and we go down a rabbit hole of research. That's usually our process of making these these episodes. So if that happens, you'll get an episode. If not, you'll get one soon. We love you very, very much. And we uh, pray for the, the well-being of this country and the sanity of this country again. Thank you all so much. Have a great night. Yeah.